Warning. This week's Escape Pod is rated R for a strong language, implied sex and violence, and a bit of soap opera. We're sponsored this week by Audible.com. More details after the story. For a risk-free trial and free audiobook download, go to audible.com slash escapepodsff. Escape Pod 172 August 21st, 2008 Today's story, Union News, Tabula Rasa, by Jeffrey Arlewinkle Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. This week we have another installment from Jeffrey R. Dorigo's Union Dues Saga. If you're new here and not familiar with Union Dues, think superheroes. Think spin. Think, yeah, maybe it's not worth it just to get to go to work in tights. So, we present Union Dues, Tabula Rasa. Mr. Dorigo lives in New Hampshire, and I'm going to have to ask him for some more stuff to say in the next bio. His Union Dues stories are now appearing not just here, but also at the story podcast ClonePod at clonepod.org. They're presenting his Team Shikaragaki series, focusing on some younger members of the Union. Now, just try to relax and breathe deeply and think. Does it remind you of anything when I say, it's story time? Union Dues, Tabula Rasa, by Jeffrey R. Dorigo. One. You okay? Captain Colossal! I blink, but everything is a swirl of indistinct black and gray, punctuated with pulsing sweeps of red. Captain Colossal, talk to me, man! Feelings come back slow, like little tingles that radiate up my legs and back from where my feet and hands should be. Who's yelling? I don't know the voice. And who's this Captain Colossal person? The pain hits me like a sudden thunderstorm. Every inch of my body cries out like it's being slowly squashed in a car crusher. He's going black! We're losing him! Jesus, we're losing him! Screw the halo vice, just get the goddamn girders off! No, that one! That one! Jesus Christ! Cap! Cap, stay with me, man! Blackness again, and silence. Two. I don't recognize the girl sitting beside me. She's raven-haired, with a round face and deep concern wrinkles that frame her dark blue eyes. She spread a magazine out across her legs and leans over, reading. I notice her white elbow-length gloves and matching knee-high boots as she slowly flips between pages. I try to say hello, but my mouth isn't working right. I mumble something, and her attention snaps from the magazine to me. She hesitates before moving, and her wide eyes betray surprise that I've made any sound at all. Oh, Cap, we thought we'd lost you. She punches something on the wall and says, He's awake! I try to push myself up, but I'm strapped down, and my head is fastened into some metal contraption, the arms of which I see only in peripheral vision. She shines a light into my eyes. Okay, don't panic. Who am I kidding? How can I not panic? She slides her chair beside the bed and watches the readings on some piece of machinery that is outside my field of view. How are you feeling? I try to shrug, then remember the straps. She leans in so close her breasts almost brush against my cheek and fiddles with one of the tubes snaking down into my arm. Three others enter. All of them are dressed funny, like comic book funny. For some reason, their appearance is comforting. I don't recognize any of their masked faces, 
A bald man stays at the periphery, while the other two, a man in gray-green tights who seems very nervous, and a woman in a bright orange costume with a short blue cape and blue mask flank the bed. This is a really big bed. Why is this bed so big? Took a nice hit there, Cap, the nervous man says, and I remember his voice from the black and gray and the pain. I tell you what, if it was anyone else, we'd be looking down at a casket. But you, man, you are in-freaking destructible. He turns to the girl in black. Can we unstrap him? She nods, and the pair begin loosening the inch-thick leather straps holding me down. My body begins to ache, slowly at first, and just in the joints and ribs. But when the pain comes, it's like having a railroad spike driven into my temple. We don't show any bone breaks. Spinal cord is intact and undamaged. Internal organs are fine, too. The girl in black hands a chart on a clipboard to the bald man. We can take the vice off, too. There's no danger of paralysis. She turns to me. Just a few big, nasty bruises, Captain Colossal. The green and gold man begins twisting something near my forehead, and it hurts like having a tooth pulled, but not as bad as the overall headache. He places the halo vice on the floor beside the bed and grabs my wrist. His hands are barely the size of my thumbs. I ease up slowly and the room whirls around. Each pulse of blood hammers the inside of my skull. I grunt and groan until the dizziness passes. My blue shirt is cut open, revealing my chest, stomach, and a dot-to-dot -dot of electrodes and wires snaking off the side of the bed. The arms are torn off at the elbow. I'm barefoot. Water. I mumble. The girl in orange hurries to fill a plastic cup and presses it into my hands. I crush it. Water spills down onto my lap. Sorry. She sits on the bed beside me. Just go easy. Here, take the whole pitcher. I hold the pitcher as gently as I can and bring it to my lips. The water is room temperature, but still unbelievably refreshing. I drain the whole quart, then burp softly. More? The man in green and gold takes the pitcher and refills it at a small sink. I struggle to my gigantic feet, and the room spins again, but I manage to remain upright. I catch a glimpse of someone at the far end of the room. He's impossibly tall, seven feet easy, and broad as a battleship. A shock of blonde hair is shaved off one side of his head, where a thick bandage is taped in its place. He wears blue tights, torn and cut away from his body. 3. The girl in black walks me back to what she says are my quarters. I struggle to make sense of the layout, but the hallways have no windows or photographs or anything. I pass a wide stairway that stretches down toward a big open space lined with statues of other people in capes and boots and masks. You've been awfully quiet, she says, and stops beside a wide red door. I know the painkillers will make you weird and all, but are you feeling okay? Yeah. I pause for a second. Want to come in and talk? Her eyebrows rise. Inside there? Your room? I reach for the doorknob, but there isn't one. I push at the door, but it doesn't give. There's a panel beside the frame. I put my hand over it, and the door pops open. I push it in and enter. The room is small, only a little bigger than half of the hospital room they'd had me in so far. A short hallway leads out of the combination kitchen-living room to an even smaller room dominated by another giant bed. Every wall is plastered with rows of rectangular bags. Each bag displays a single comic book. The girl in black follows me inside. 
I cast my eyes over every single thing, hoping it'll jog something to explain who and where I am. But it's like walking into a comic store. I turn a chair around and sit. It creaks beneath me, and for a second I think it'll explode into splinters. But it holds my weight. So, talk, she says. Oh, serious talk? Her demeanor changes immediately. If it's about the fire, I mean, strategy is one thing, but getting trapped firemen out of an inferno like that? I didn't know the stress on the walls was so great. I didn't know it would come down on you like it did. I'll do better next time. I raise my hand, and she stops chattering. Just tell me who you are and where I am. She freezes and blinks twice. Tell you where you are? Cap, you're home. This is Cleveland Pyramid. I'm Sarah Shadow. You don't recognize me. That doesn't mean anything to me. I stand up. Frustration washes over me like heat from a blast furnace. And worse, my stomach is rumbling. I woke up today. The first person I saw was you, but I've never seen you before in my life. I figured as long as I was in the hospital, or wherever, I'd start to remember. But it's a blank. Where am I? What is this place? What are you people? I pointed her costume. And that's... What's that? Are you part of a circus act or something? Sarah Shadow raises her white-gloved hands. Okay, give me a minute to take all this in. She pulls a chair close and sits. She thinks for a few silent minutes. Does this ring a bell? Captain Colossal? No. Okay, you're Captain Colossal, Team One Captain, and Tribunal Representative of the Union of Superheroes, Cleveland Pyramid. She waves her hand across one of the comic-plastered walls. You're all right here. She takes a book down and hands it to me. This is you. I shake my head. Well, that explains the get-up in the room, I guess. My head falls into my hands. I need an aspirin. Stay here. Don't talk to anyone. Understand? I don't know anyone but you, and I don't even know you. Sarah visibly shivers and says... Mindstorm isn't going to like this. She shakes her head and stares at me, then says, Just sit tight. Your new costume is on the way from New York, but there's a spare old version in the back, in the closet. That might help. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Sarah leaves, and an immediate loneliness fills the room like a cold draft. The back bedroom walls are covered with even more rows of comics. A blown-up cover of Captain Colossal Number 1 hangs over my bed. I open the closet and take out a blue unitard, red boots, red gloves. The clothes are heavier than they look. They resemble plain old spandex, but a layer of something heavy is sandwiched between outer shell and lining. The costume fits perfectly. Sarah knocks, and I push my hand against the door panel and allow her inside. She checks the hallway before stepping through the door. Promise me something. Sure. Promise me that I won't get screwed for this. I'm stunned by the request. Okay, but screwed for what? The left side of her mouth curls up into her cheek for a second. She waves her arm over the walls of bagged comics, each one bearing the Captain Colossal name. Well, Cap, to be honest, you're a self-obsessed jerk, and when you go back to being a self-obsessed jerk, I want you to remember that I helped you. You don't like me? I glance at the books. No, Cap. Normal people love you. Other supers, especially us, can't stand you. I hate to be the bearer of bad news and all. I don't understand. You will. Don't worry. But that's not as important as jogging your memory. 
Now, do you remember anything, anything at all, before three days ago? I close my eyes and try to think back, but it's like standing with my nose to a blank wall. No. Your mother? I strain, but there's nothing. Mother is just a word now, but I can feel that it used to mean something incredibly important. I whisper, no. Your father? Brothers? Sisters? House? Dog? Favorite movie? What do you mean you can't stand me? Why don't you like me? Why am I a jerk? Sarah sighs and lets her hands drop to her lap. You're inflexible, pig-headed, and have personally meted out punishment for minuscule infractions of protocol, especially with the second stringers. They call you Captain Colossal Asshole and Captain Colostomy Bag behind your back. There, does that make you feel better? No. Then let's get back to... So this is me, huh? I pull a few of the comics off the wall. My name, or the name she said was mine, Captain Colossal, is written across the top of each one. I take the first book and examine the drawing. It's a big guy, blonde, in blue and red, in mid-punch against some multi-armed robot. I flip the book open and start to read. Sarah asks, Hey, Captain Colossal, what's it like to be super? Huh? I have no idea. Why? She smiles slightly. Nothing. Never mind. She points at the comic in my hands. That's the reprint of your origin story. I check the number. 256. Why is, uh, my origin story in issue 256? You aren't the first Captain Colossal. It's complicated, okay? Not the first? My head feels like someone is pulling both sides of my skull apart now. Of course not. Look, read it while I get you some food. I'll try and answer whatever questions you have when I get back, okay? And this is really important, so listen closely. If anyone else comes to your room, not that they will, but if they do, try and act normal. No, wait, that doesn't make sense. Just don't say anything about your memory loss. Make small talk and demand privacy. Who are the others? If one of them comes to my door, I should be able to say their names, right? She opens the door and glances back over her left shoulder. Why start now? Four. Okay. According to the books, I'm super strong. Sarah is a super strategist, whatever that means. The guy in gray and green is Squirrel. The girl in orange and blue is Mindstorm. The bald man in black is Vic Volta. He shoots lightning from his hands. Cool. I've read all the comics I can stand, about 40 of them, then give up because they've repeated the same story three times with only slight variations. None of them rings a bell or offers any insight into who or what I am supposed to be. Apparently, I was born in Pennsylvania in the shadows of a nuclear power plant, and one day after a Little League game, I was doused with radioactive water, and that triggered my metamorphosis. Pennsylvania? Huh. I close the comic and try to remember anything that resembles what it says in the book. But it's all a blank. I don't remember Little League or train tracks or nuclear waste or anything. The rest of the small apartment is no help either. The closets are stuffed with older costumes and a couple of sweatsuits. There are no photo books, no paperwork, nothing. I apparently don't even own a pair of sneakers. No TV in the room, no radio, no computer, no phone. I glance down at the communicator on my wrist. That's it? That's all my contact with the outside world? A short, sharp knock breaks my train of thought, and I open the door. Mindstorm stands there, and she looks worried. Hi, Mindstorm, I say. 
She cocks her head and scrunches her eyebrows after I say her name. Well, good day, Captain Colossal, since we're being so formal. She looks past me into the room. Are you going to invite me in, or make me stand outside like a second stringer? I'm really tired. Oh, please. She rolls her eyes and squeezes past me. I close the door and turn around. Mindstorm is stripping out of her costume. So, she says, any bruises I should know about and try to avoid? Uh, what? Her hair flows down over her shoulders and around her breasts. She bends over to peel off the bottom half of the tights. She catches my stunned expression. Something wrong? No, it's just... I need a little privacy. I don't even sound convincing enough to fool myself with that line. Mindstorm stares at me. You don't want me? My head is still throbbing. She frowns, but I can tell it's an act. If you're going to break our routine, then at least have the decency to let me know in advance, okay? I'll try. She's almost fully dressed when Sarah knocks. I wonder if my timing was this bad before. I press the door panel and it swings open. Sarah's holding a plate of fresh-cut vegetables heaped around seven huge cheeseburgers. Oh, Cap, I, uh, didn't know you had company. He doesn't, Mindstorm says and tugs her boots back on. I can come back later. No, I'm starving. Just, uh, put it down over there. I point to the table beside the stack of comics. Mindstorm studies the magazines for a second. A little light reading. Yeah, something like that. I realize that I don't like Mindstorm. Why would I have sex with such a bitter woman? I don't think I like bitter women. Well, at least not anymore. Mindstorm stares at Sarah. And a little something to go with his lunch. The rich smell of the cheeseburgers fills the room, and I almost begin to drool. Sarah says, I've got the fire tape. Want to stick around and analyze with us? Mindstorm strides to the door. She doesn't acknowledge Sarah and focuses on me instead. Are we keeping the same training schedule? I pause. Uh, sure. You up to it, or do you want me to put the second stringers through their paces? I glance at Sarah, who nods very slightly, but I can't tell if she wants me to agree or disagree. I gamble, you do it, and win. Well, at least some routines haven't changed. Mindstorm flings the door open. You know, if you're going to take a new plaything for your relaxation, you should at least tell the old one. She turns to Sarah. Good luck, kid. Oh, and he likes it when you pretend to resist. Just don't fight too hard or he's liable to break something. She slams the door behind her. I... I don't know what she's talking about. I snatch the first cheeseburger and nearly slam it into my mouth, hoping it'll hide my blush. I've read the books. They didn't help. Do you know where I came from? If you know my name, or where I was born, that might help. The only people who might know that are the luminaries. Maybe some of the comic writers. I don't know what information gets passed on from recruitment to marketing. I only did a two-week stint in marketing before transferring to an active team. Luminaries? Cool. How do I talk to them? No, no. If they know you're broken, it won't matter if you remember your past or not. You'll be replaced. They might let you retrain, though. You don't seem too old for imprinting. She shakes her head. No, don't say anything to anyone. Seems like it would work out for everyone if I was taken away and fixed. Broken heroes don't get fixed. They get replaced. So? 
So you haven't been Captain Colossal for more than a year, not even enough time to draw a percentage of the comic grosses if they do replace you. The Union won't put the money and time into fixing whatever went wrong in your head. She slips a DVD out from somewhere in her costume. The fire. We'll spool it out in the training classroom. I chew through the second burger as we walk down the hallway and realize there's no place to wipe my hands. There isn't a good angle of the collapse, but maybe just seeing what went on will jar something loose. If not, at least you'll get an idea of what you're like in public. There's a press conference tomorrow morning. You're popular, so seeing you evacuated from the fire was big news for the local TV stations. There's a couple of hundred get-well cards downstairs by the incinerator, too. Vic and Squirrel scan the return addresses and sent out standard thank-you replies. I don't know if I should talk to the press or anyone else. Don't worry, we've got a second stringer in your costume already. A couple of bandages on his head and it'll be fine. The normals don't really care who's under the tights. The training classroom overlooks a gigantic gymnasium. Mindstorm is squaring off against five people in identical gray sweats and masks. I can't hear what she's saying, but the people in gray nod and point as she talks. Don't worry, Cap. Mindstorm is a good trainer. Come on, I've got the footage ready. The video has a time-date stamp on the bottom right, but other than that, I don't recognize a thing. Thick billows of gray and black smoke cause so much distortion, I can barely tell the TV is working. The camera is shaky, and the images at first indistinct. Radio chatter floats over the video images. Something about homeless people and firefighters. Someone, me, barks at the team. I call them stupid and useless, and compared to the rest of my screaming, useless and stupid might as well be compliments. The camera swings up as the brick wall blows out and static fills the screen. I just stand there for a few minutes. I'm... I'm sorry. Why'd you dig me out? I would have fought twice at least. We didn't rescue you because we wanted you to live, Cap, but because we were afraid you wouldn't die. 5. The city lights are so bright they obscure the stars. The charred remains of the mill still smolder about two miles south. I watch the wisps of smoke rise in silence. I'm supposed to be representing the pyramid at a tribunal meeting, but Sarah thought it would be best if I delegated that duty to someone else. Vic is sitting in my place. The hangar door opens, and Mindstorm quietly enters. How's the headache? She reaches up and checks the bandage on the side of my head. Hurts. You can't remember anything. Well, that explains this afternoon. Sarah said we shouldn't say anything. Who says she said anything at all? I knew something was up when I saw that faux-innocent teenage stick insect in your quarters. She's so not your type. Mindstorm walks to the hangar mouth and looks down at the small strip of green grass between the base of the pyramid and the wall. She was trying to help me remember. Everything is so muddled. I hate you, she says. I've hated you for a long time, but that doesn't mean I'm not sympathetic. Memories are all we really have, and even you don't deserve to have them stolen. I'll look for what you lost and maybe help restore it. Whoever, whatever, I was before the fire... But it won't come cheap. What if I can be a better person now, without them? Wouldn't you and the others want that? Not as much as I want out of Cleveland. I don't care if you go back to Captain Colossal Asshole or evolve into Captain Colossal Awesome. I want to be somewhere else where you can't touch me. You know, Mindstorm, I'm getting kind of tired of having to apologize for shit I don't remember. A spark of anger flares in my gut. 
I reach over and crinkle the riveted nose of the jump jet. There's the cap we all know and love. Get out. These aren't your quarters, oh great leader. You can't throw me out of the hangar bay. I could throw you right out the fucking window. I stride towards the door. The anger embarrasses me. I don't really have a reason to be this angry, because Mindstorm isn't attacking me. Not really. I'm vulnerable, and she's exploiting that, because this is the only time she can. I stop at the exit. What do you want me to do? Backdate and approve my last transfer request. When it comes up for review at the tribunal, you certify the signature. And if you go digging around inside me, and there's nothing to find... Sorry, we aren't bargaining for success. It's a straight exchange of services. No guarantees, no refunds. I'll think about it. I step into the corridor. Limited time offer, she says. I walk back to my quarters in angry silence. Six. Whoa now, calm down. What's wrong? Sarah thrusts a stack of warm toaster waffles into my hands. I bellow, I don't know anything. I don't trust anyone. I can't talk to anyone. What happened? Mindstorm, right? I thought I felt her peering in, that bitch. I'm going to let her look, but I want you there. You don't know what you're saying, Cap. She doesn't just look for things. She can make you do things. I'll risk it. Funny, I'm starting to see parts of the comic book Captain Colossal in myself. One of the things the books hammered on was his, my, willingness to take tremendous chances without the slightest hope of payoff. Thinking about the books makes my head hurt again. Besides, if she finds something to unlock, it'll work out, right? And what if she doesn't unlock it? What if she buries it even deeper? The Union is pretty good at imprinting stuff on us, but they can't work with the same subtlety as a dedicated mind reader. If you stay here, it's like playing Russian roulette with five loaded chambers. You're a strategist, right? What's your advice? She doesn't hesitate even a second. Run. Stay on the fringes of normal society, take menial jobs, construction worker or dishwasher, something like that. Get to Mexico or Canada and do the same. The Union will hunt you, but they have limited influence in foreign countries. Gee, thanks. If Mindstorm really knows the extent of your damage, she'll drop a dime to the tribunal and you won't even get the benefit of poking, prodding, and testing. It's a lose-lose... Wait, I shouldn't even be able to tell you this. She pauses for a moment. Of course. If anyone else had asked, I wouldn't be able to answer, but you're the team leader, even if incapacitated, and your immediate strategic inquiry takes precedence over whatever the Union imprinted. I don't think I'm the kind of person who runs away from trouble, Sarah. I'm going to give Mindstorm her shot. She wants something from me, so I have some leverage. If she can't fix me, then I'll go. That'll give you time to get an escape plan together. Hear me out. You're looking at six months in Salt Lake being poked and prodded and tested just to be sure you're really broken. When they can't get your brain jump-started, you'll be shipped off to the village. I don't even know what that means. It means, and I don't fucking care. I'm still the leader, right? Then get a plan together. Today. That's an order. Yes, sir, she says and walks out. Seven. Just relax, Cap. This won't take more than a couple of minutes. I'm sitting in an oversized chair in the reinforcement classroom. The lights are low, almost at a flicker. Mindstorm settles onto a stool right in front of me. Sarah stands off to the side. I'm ready. You have my transfer in order. Once you're done, I'll sign and backdate it. Sarah is here to witness, so you can take me to the tribunal if I break my word.
Mindstorm glances at Sarah's shadow. You screw me over, and your new girlfriend won't be able to remember how to wipe her ass, understand? I don't like threats, Mindstorm. She stares into my eyes. Her mouth doesn't move, but there's a definite garbled whisper buried in the back of my brain. Something like a thick fog settles over me. I can't move or blink. I see, but don't understand the images. I hear, but the words don't make sense. After a few seconds, or minutes, or hours, I'm alone in my skull. The headache comes back full force. Mindstorm steps back and shakes her cascade of red hair. Jeez, what a mess! Fragments of your whole life, like shattered crystal. There's no context to anything. Sarah asks, This can't be fixed? Mindstorm shrugs and snickers. He's fixed now, if you ask me. The damage appears irreversible, but for all I know, his brain will reassemble the fragments over time. Until then, he's broken. No concrete memories, no charter, no imprinting. Salt Lake is going to have their work cut out for them putting you back together, Cap. Now, about my transfer. Sarah opens a file on the computer terminal. Is this it? Mindstorm leans in over the screen. Yeah, that... Sarah drives her elbow dead center into Mindstorm's sternum, then brings her forearm down across the back of the telepath's neck. She won't be out long. Come on. This is your plan? I leap up from the chair. Trust me. We stop just long enough for me to crunch the door handles and trap Mindstorm inside. Sarah bolts up out of the gym with me behind her. No matter what happens, you keep running. We sprint across the gym and into a stairwell that spirals up from the training floor. The stairway ends between two rows of tall marble figures that lead to the pyramid's main entrance. I accelerate past Sarah and slam shoulder-first into the door, exploding it out onto the walkway. The pyramid's alarm begins to blare. Her communicator burps to life and she tears it off. Go! she yells. I turn my back and sprint towards the street with Sarah running beside me. Where are we going? Just run! I don't have time to ask any more questions. She snakes us through alleys towards the center of the city. We stay in the shadows, mostly, and it's late enough that there isn't much foot traffic to notice us when we're exposed. We stop under the overhanging drive through of a bank. Sarah points at the ATM machine fitted into the wall. Wait, she says, and tosses something at the machine that pops and splatters over the security camera. Safe is in the bottom. Rip it open. A chopper swings out over the skyline. No spotlight, though. I know it's the others, but I try and ignore the commotion. Hurry! Sarah checks the sidewalk, then presses in against the concrete wall beside the cash machine. There's no time to be subtle, so I ram my fists through the ATM's base and peel back the armor protecting the safe. I've got the thing open in less than 30 seconds. She stuffs my pockets with cash. The railroads are two miles north of here. Some of it is open ground. We'll have to be careful. We're almost across the parking lot when Sarah screams. I turn back, and she's flat on the pavement and tugging at her leg. Sarah? I can't move my leg. She struggles to turn over and face me. They're on to us. Go! I run back to where she lies. Her leg is stuck to the ground with a foamy brown blob. I'm not leaving you to take the fall for this. Don't be stupid. Go. I can handle them. A silhouette appears on the bank roof just as another foamy blob splashes across the pavement. I freeze as the figure drops down into the cover of trees beside the drive-thru. I'm not going. My fists ball into two rock-hard chunks. I don't know how tough the Union is, but I'll mash them all into putty if they want to fight. Help! she cries. Help! Before he kills me! 
Sarah? Help! Don't beat me, Cap! Don't do it! I won't make any more mistakes! I promise! She writhes and claws against the pavement, then twists over to face me again. She whispers, Run! This is the plan! Run! And then goes back to screaming for help. I barrel out of the parking lot and glance back just before I disappear into the maze of downtown streets. Gray Squirrel squats beside Sarah, who points in the opposite direction. I zigzag through the city until the train depot opens up. A freight carrier rolls slowly towards the rail yard exit. I slip into the space between two cars and ride out of Cleveland. 8. One year later. The wrestling ring goes up easy, since I'm pretty much the forklift, sledgehammer, and torque wrench all rolled into one. Vinny lays out the table beside the ring apron and starts to string the yellow ropes around the holding area for tonight's amateur contestants. Big crowd today, but that's not surprising for the Missouri State Fair. We hitched our act to Solomon Brothers Circus Incorporated, but sometimes, between big shows, we take gigs like this. It's not a great living, but we earn enough to keep the truck filled with gas and the camper stocked with chow. We divide the take from the wrestling challenge by three. A third for me, a third for him, and a third for the act, and have saved enough to ride out the winter into Mexico. Mexico loves masked wrestlers. The posters are in, finally. Vinny's voice sounds eerily out of place among the near silence of the empty early morning fairgrounds. He reads, El Supremo and his El Magnifico Wrestling Challenge. The red and orange look good this time. The color bleed isn't as bad as the last batch. I like it, but where are we going to come up with 500 bucks if someone beats me? We used to offer only 200 bucks, but, you know, inflation... Vinny pauses for a second, then we both almost fall over laughing. He pushes the stack of cardboard posters and staple gun into my arms. I'll get us some breakfast and coffee. You start in the parking lot area, and I'll catch up. Okay. I wave at Marjorie over by the kiddie rides, and Buzz, who's tightening down the leg supports for a Ferris wheel. I don't know everyone at this fair, but the carny circuit is pretty close-knit. Hang around long enough, and you pretty much meet them all, no matter which midway you work. I started remembering things three weeks ago. Not concrete things, but like how you remember dreams. Just a bunch of little disconnected pieces. A blue Chrysler with who I think are my mom and dad in it, but their faces are fuzzy and indistinct. A high school football team. A girl named Sherry. They aren't much to hang on to, but they're mine, and in time, maybe they'll make sense. I try not to dwell on the fragments much. Whoever they put into the Captain Colossal tights held a press conference while I was still hiding out. He waved off the accusations that a crazed union member robbed the Cleveland Bank and Trust and rampaged through the city. Sarah Shadow and Mindstorm both smiled up at him as he effortlessly answered the reporter's questions. The new Captain Colossal described my escape as a training scenario to ensure operational readiness, whatever the hell that means. I still get paranoid sometimes usually when we're near a city that hosts a pyramid. I try to keep our act in the sticks, even if it means breaking away from Solomon Brothers for a while. Vinny doesn't complain, nor does he complain that I keep my mask on almost all the time. No one cares about the guy under the costume, he says. Now where have I heard that before? And that was our story. For serious Dorigo fans, 
and I just love the fact that it's to our credit that there are serious Dorigo fans now, you'll want to listen to the Clone Pod episode from last week, Union Do's The Saga of Tom Suji. There's a bit of character crossover between that story and this one. No more spoilers. You'll have to check it out at clonepod.org. I've got more stuff to shout out, but first an announcement. It snuck up on me again this year, but I've just realized that DragonCon is next week. You know, the enormous sci-fi and comics and gaming and everything convention here in Atlanta. It's late notice, but I wanted to let anyone who's going know that we'll once again be doing a meetup at DragonCon. Like last year, this will be a joint event between Escape Pod and the Poly Weekly Podcast. Same place, too, the Gordon Biersch Brew Pub, about a mile north of the convention hotels, Sunday at 11.30 a.m. It's an easy walk or cab ride. This time we're renting out their upper mezzanine, so we've got a bit more room to spread out and mingle. Drop me a line for more details at editor at escapepod.org if you like. For the convention, I have practically no agenda this year. I'm really just going to socialize with people. If you want to get together for a few beers, etc., you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm Ely there. And I'll happily post when I'm at the bar, or the decent parties, or staring at the lingerie-clad Darth Vader. One more announcement. I announced last week the pending arrival of Mer Lafferty's superhero novel, Playing for Keeps, in print from Swarm Press on August 25th. As a special promotion for that, she's agreed to let us put the PDF of the entire novel on our feed. So check it out, and if you think it's worth having on paper, I definitely do, it's available from Amazon on August 25th. So, we're brought to you again this week by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word audio. They've lately been expanding their line of exclusive science fiction and fantasy titles, Audible Frontiers. There are some new books there, and some classics. I just today noticed that the line now includes one of my all-time favorite SF novels, Roger Zelazny's Lord of Light. Zelazny was more famous for his Amber series, but I think Lord of Light was the top of his game. It's the story of a human planet where technology has enabled one of the widest social gaps imaginable. Most live as mortals, while the ruling class has set themselves up to reincarnate as Hindu gods, with all the power and caprice that suggests. Which is all just dandy, until one of them decides to shake up the system, and offers the teachings of the Buddha. It's mind-blowing, it's full of action, and it's unforgettable. And you could get it as your free download if you sign up for the no-risk trial at audible.com slash escapepodsff. Even if you cancel the trial, you keep the book so it really is a free lunch. Once again, that URL is audible.com slash escapepodsff. We're going to skip feedback again this week, and my apologies for that. It's just a time crunch, pure and simple. This is already going up late Friday, and I won't let it be any later. It's been an intense few weeks for me. In the past two weeks, I lost the software contracting work I was treating as my day job. I got a new job in fairly short order, and in between, it's all been trying to keep chaos in check. I am sorry for the lateness, but it should reverse within the next couple of weeks. Meanwhile, Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. If you like this week's story, please tell a friend or blog about us. And if you can, please consider helping us support our authors by donating via the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org. Also check out our sister podcasts at podcastle.org and pseudopod.org for fantasy and horror, respectively. They're both doing some fantastic work. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. Hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from 19th century editor and author Albert Hubbard. 
not to be confused with L. Ron Hubbard, who said, A retentive memory may be a good thing, but the ability to forget is the true token of greatness. Don't forget us next week. Until then, have fun. <laughs>